Well, hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Words, Women and Wisdom radio show, streaming live from BBS in California and syndicating to over 100 stations globally, including iHeart and iTunes. I'm joined today by my guest who I'll formally introduce in just a moment, Dr. Melanie Peacock. Good morning, Dr. Melanie. How are you? I'm very well and good morning. Good morning. So we're both sitting here in somewhat snowy today, Calgary, Alberta, at the base of the Rocky Mountains in Canada and streaming to multiple platforms. If you haven't dialed into the Words, Women and Wisdom radio show before, this is a platform to air the stories of typically rising from tragedy to triumph for women who are out there in the world doing really interesting work that are doing um, fascinating things, making a contribution in their community or globally, locally, nationally. It really depends on the scenario. And today I am so pleased that Dr. Melanie is able to join us. We have a lot in common and we also have some things that Dr. Melanie has Uh, secured in her life that make for a really interesting story. And I want to invite her to share that today. So by way of an introduction, Dr. Melanie is um, a PhD, MBA. Um, She's also a a CHRM member. So we're both in the HR community and FCPHR. There's another designation that I don't have. Dr. Melanie has over 30 years of experience as a human resources management professional, and she's now on the faculty. So she's a faculty lead. Dr. Peacock was the first woman of color and the first woman to hold that position in over 28 years. So this is a significant accomplishment. I want to, again, congratulate you for securing that position, Dr. Melanie. As well, she's the president of the Western University Alumni Association Board, and she's bringing a lot of extensive competency and knowledge to this to this role. She's a sought-after media contributor. I've seen her mentioned several times in the media, a commentator at the municipal, provincial, and national levels, as well as managing, as, as well as authoring, sorry, authoring books regarding training and development, and also this topic of change management. She was presented with the HRD's 2020 Lifetime Achievement Award in the HR industry at the Canadian HR Awards and recognized with the FCPHR designation just last year. She is a fellow HR professional. I've known Melanie for a number of years in various circumstances, and I'm delighted that you're able to join me today. Good morning again. Well, thank you so much for that kind introduction. I don't know about you and all the wonderful people joining us today and listening in and watching. It always feels weird to me when someone introduces you and talks about you, and you're like, oh, that's me, and uh, I'm in the room. (laughs) It's a bit You don't know if you should be proud, embarrassed, Uh, a whole range of emotions go through me. And just as a clarification too, I'm past president of the faculty association, which is neither here nor there, but it's just, I'm not doing that role anymore, but lots of stories there, which we will get into. So thank you. And it's so kind of you to introduce me, but when you're doing that, I'm thinking that's my story. And I'm just so impressed and so thankful to you for helping women share their stories because mm. there's stories behind the story. You know, that's a nice descriptor. Yeah. And that talks a lot about what I've done. And you have an amazing bio. I've listened to so many of your other guests who have amazing bios. That's what we do. It's not who we are. Exactly. And I'm just so honored and appreciative of you that you allow us to share a little bit more of our who and in case anybody who is joining doesn't know you set the example for that you're so open and willing to share who you are I've read your posts I understand a little bit about your family history what's brought you to where you are and it's helped me ruminate and think and grow Mm. and so I invite everybody to listen and not just to me to all the other amazing guests and to you and, and let's continue to share our stories and learn from one another. 
Mm, thank you. Um, I love doing this work and you just never know how many people and who you're going to touch at what level. I had somebody recently reach out and say, oh, you're Yvonne Silva. You're the, the author of the best-selling book, Words, Women and Wisdom. I don't know if she remembered it was best-selling, but it is best-selling. Um, Words, Women and Wisdom, The Modern Art of Confident Conversations. That book was on the nightstand when I was in the shelter. And I'm just about to launch my first course. My book is coming out soon. And I was floored because, I mean, I don't know exactly what impact my book had on her, but the fact that she was in the shelter, because I do a buy one, give one, one, uh, to donate a copy to Women's Shelter Foundation or not for profit for each of the hard copies sold. Um, I don't know what impact it actually made, but she remembered. And it just gave me goosebumps because you just never know who's listening on a radio show <laughs> and the, the stories and how they touch people. So thank you for bringing your story today to the Words, Women and Wisdom show. It's called Unforeseen Promise. That's the title of our session today. So. Let's start with um, how you grew up, because I think these things have a very big influence on us as children. I mean, I know for me, yeah, that was why I ended up writing my book, because uh, I have dedicated that to my mom. We'll share that story later on. But tell me a little bit about your upbringing, because I'm sure that at, at some point you might not have imagined that you'd be holding the senior level positions that you do today. Absolutely. And your childhood, your environment, your surroundings absolutely impact all of us. And I'll, I'll probably even get a little emotional here, but that's part of being vulnerable and honest. That's okay. I am a child of immigrants. And when my parents moved to Canada, they shared with me as I got older, the reason they chose to come from Canada, from England, by the way, I was born in England. Yep. But <laughs> hell yeah, that's right. That's another one of our commonalities. I always joke, my parents moved to Canada when I was two. And so, oh, I decided to join along. <laughs> it seems like a joke. But if anyone had known me at two, they would have said, that's not such a joke. I was apparently hmm, quite precarious and precocious. I would say, oh, okay, if you're going, I guess I'll move along to it, even at two. But they always spoke about and told me they viewed Canada as a place of opportunity. Mm -hmm. They hoped it would provide me with the ability to get an education. They're strong believers, always have been, in the power of education. And the fact that once you learn something, it's an evolving, lifelong process. But your education is something that no one can ever take away from you. Right. And you and I could do another entire show about the value of education. Mm -hmm. And of course, as an educator myself, as a lifelong learner, I believe in the power of knowledge and learning. Do I ever judge people by the designations or letters after their name? Absolutely not. But I also, you know, it's a little shift that's happened. We almost in some ways are being asked to be ashamed or to lessen or to diminish our education, particularly as women. Mm. <laughs> you know, don't boast about your degrees. Don't because, you know, you don't need a degree for this. You don't. There's a happy medium. Right? We don't need a degree for everything. I don't judge people by the letters after their names, but nor should anyone hide or diminish or shine the light away from their accomplishments and their education. Okay, yeah. little tangent there off that yeah. soapbox. So my parents moved here. I was an only child. I am an only child. And so that impacts too that, um, and being born an old soul, if I could use that terminology, I always like to hang around adults. And so even when people came over, my mom would say, why aren't you going and playing with the kids? I would sit with the adults and listen to them. And I was always fascinated about their stories regarding work. And I think, what is this work? They'd go to an office and they taught, and it was different days, right? This is when you would leave work and leave it. There was no technology. There was no right. email. There was no internet. But it was always interesting. And I was fascinated to have them tell me their story. What do you do? <laughs> and, and, and what do you like about that? And what don't you like? And people thought that was weird for a child to be so interested, but it was always something I was fascinated with. The other part that I share though, and I've really been thinking about this deeply, I'm going to say in the last five years, is as immigrants, my parents always said, we need to fit in. That was a big thing for my mother. Let's fit in. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't be so loud. Don't be different. Don't rock the boat. Just go with the flow. You know, we are guests in this country initially, and we want to make sure that we are welcomed by the community. 
Well, spoiler alert, as you know me so well, Yvonne, and other people that know me, I'm not good at any of those things, and I never was. I was not the quiet, subdued wallflower. I wasn't one to take away from what I thought, wasn't one to just necessarily fit in. Mm-hmm. I wasn't one to rock the boat unnecessarily or be disrespectful, but I just wasn't one to ease back. And yep. yet it was precarious because I was always balancing that, but you need to fit in, you know, try to join. And when I think back in it and I think about, you know, both of my parents who have now passed and I think of them all the time, they fit in, but in a way they didn't realize they fit in by giving to the community. They right. fit in by just being genuine people who cared about others and took pride in their work and took pride in their home <laughs> and took pride in their life. And so there are ways to fit in because I am still a believer in fitting in and working with those around you. But yeah. that's not at the contradiction of illuminating your authenticity and your differences. Yeah. And it sounds like a contradiction, you know, unforeseen promise. Is, yes, as we you've mentioned is the title, but I would say, you know, the subtitle would be unforeseen promise grounded in paradox. Mm. <laughs> and that's one of the paradoxes that I'm sharing with you is that you can be both. You can fit in and yet be authentic and be different. The two yeah. aren't mutually exclusive. There's some intersectionality in there. Yes. I think you and I first ran across each other when we were both volunteering for the HR Association in Calgary, when it was called that, as opposed to the Calgary chapter of the HR, um, uh, HRIA. And at that time, you know, volunteering, um, you know, working in senior HR roles, um, I had had a lot of people coming and saying, well, you know, I'm a junior, um, I don't have any work experience yet. And because I don't have work experience, I can't get a job because I don't have a job. I don't get more work experience. And they're sort of stuck in this cycle of not being able to land anywhere. And I always said, you know, go and volunteer somewhere. You'll get the experience. You'll make some amazing connections. And it's almost like a level playing field because everybody is there to contribute. And it's not this you know, senior and junior hierarchy that you find in business. So get the experience, put it on your resume. You don't necessarily have to say this was a volunteer experience. You put down that you worked at this place because you did work there. And if it's an association and someone asks if that was a volunteer role, absolutely, you tell the truth. You always tell the truth on your resume because it'll come out if you haven't. And that will be a definitely um, something that negatively impacts your career. But volunteering, so important, passionate about that. And that was actually a funny story. (laughs) That actually was part of the success of when I uh, went back to Royal Roads uh, back uh, 14 years ago, Royal Roads University, to get my executive coach certification. And I had met Wayne, who then went on to be the president of the HRIC. I had met him as he took over the volunteer role for the uh, lead for the awards committee for the HR Association. Right. So when I finished my six-month uh, program, I had an idea for a program to help HR professionals step up from being a professional to a strategic business partner, because there always seemed to be that gap of, you know, they want to be at the leadership table to be contributing on HR ideas, but HR um, very often was not welcome because they didn't have anything valuable to add because they didn't get the business processes and the strategy. So bridging that gap to give them the tools to be able to talk about return on investment, to talk about strategic HR management was a really helpful tool. And that was how I launched my career, uh, my coaching business with my first 30 clients within the first 30 days was calling Wayne and saying, hey, let's go for lunch. I've got an idea I want to share with you. And the HR association jumped on it right away. That's volunteering is so important. So important. So important. And we talk about the competencies that you acquire in volunteering. I mean, that's why I volunteer right now as president of the Western University Alumni Association Board. It's developing and using that leadership capacity, but still growing. And you've raised another point where, you know, I love all these tangents we're going on, but the whole process and the whole profession of HR, how I've seen it evolve and develop. It just, as I say to my students, it warms my little HR heart that we become so strategic 
And it's, you know, in those days, though, it wasn't that. And, you know, people will often say, stop saying we need a seat at the table, build the table. You know what, Vaughn, I don't like that saying, because the table is there. We have to acknowledge there is a table. There is a strategy senior management table. But you know what I say? I don't want a seat at the table. I'm going to bring my folding chair to the table. And the reason I say that is because a seat sounds like you sit down. Here I am. I'm going to listen and I'm going to contribute. I'm bringing a folding seat to the table and I'm going to get an invite because I'm going to use my words. Here's the power of words. Confidence, giving what I'm going to, you know, be very articulate about what I'm going to contribute and give and help an organization and people evolve. It's a folding chair, though, because it moves. At times, I'm going to be more focused on helping the marketing people. At times, I'm going to be working with supply chain. At times, I'm going to be with finance. So I'm going to understand all of those and the interconnectivity amongst those areas that mm. lead to one strategic successful organization. Mm-hmm. And I know that HR has that amazing ability when we have business acumen and we know how to read financial statements and we know how the company makes money and we understand the different operations and the people in those different areas, we are the connective tissue. Yeah, It's something that's a huge strategic link that we don't talk enough about in our profession. Yeah. And so that's why I'm bringing a folding chair. I'm going to the table. I will be sitting at that table, but I will not be firmly planted. Love it. I I love that analogy, Melanie. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope the listeners have their pens and are taking notes because there's so many wisdom nuggets come out of this conversation already. Regardless of whether you are in an HR career or any other career, we can always leverage the relationships of those people who may be sponsors, who may be able to open doors for us. And I think in the last little while, it's become, particularly in the corporate arena, even more important than even the mentorship, which is you know, what I won my Women of Inspiration Award for, was my contribution to designing and chairing mentorship programs for women. But I think that sponsorship is now the the next level of that, because it is important that women collaborate, that we share, that we connect, that we have um, mentors inside our organization. At the end of the day, though, a lot of the senior roles are still chair are still held by men. So we need that sponsorship. So that's another piece I'm going to be doing some more work around in 2023. That's brilliant. And I look forward to learning from you and reading what you share and watching, of course, your podcast. This leads to an amazing point that if I've been on this planet a while and I'm still evolving, I'm a lifelong learner. Right. And it took one of my dear friends a few years ago to say something to me. And it was like, I was talking about an idea I had very similar to your story about dealing with Wayne, but I was dealing with something else and I had an idea. I said, but, oh, I don't know. And she said, why don't you ask? Ask the person who has the capacity to make this happen. Tell them your idea and ask for it to happen. Right. And I thought, oh, it sounds so simple. But each of us, and I've <laughs> seen other people do this, when we're in our own story and we're in our own heads, you know, we have, we don't see things often as clearly as somebody else looking in. And when right. my friend shared with me, they said, just ask. And I said, oh, and I asked this individual and hence I became involved with um, Alberta at noon for many years and became a a biweekly commentator. I would come in and talk about HR and workplace issues. Right. And it was brilliant. It was helpful for me. It was helpful for other people. It was great to give me more comfort speaking to people and using my voice. But I had to ask. I went to the producer and said, here's an idea I have. What do you think? Mm -hmm. But if I hadn't asked nothing would happen. Now, the reason I share this story is you spoke of sponsorship. Yes, mentorship is important, but you're absolutely right. A sponsor is someone who will not just give you advice, someone who will go to bat for you, who will say, this person needs, this, we should be thinking of this for this person. Have you considered? So you need to sometimes ask. You need to ask your mentor, can you be a sponsor? Should I have another sponsor? They could advise somebody. They know who's has those um, voices of influence in an organization, in a community, in a profession. And you need to ask. You can't always expect that something is going to come to you or someone is going to sponsor you. Part of the ask, though, and this is part of my learning from my childhood to go all the way full circle, is sometimes people will say no. 
exactly. and that's okay right that ability to process the nose um you know when we talk about unforeseen promise a lot of what is unforeseen with me is people will say oh you've been successful look what you've done look what you've accomplished behind that there's been a lot of disappointment there's been a lot of no there's been a lot of not this time right sorry not yet <laughs> not yet right not yet <laughs> and learning from those no's is part of an amazing development because it's helped build that resilience it's also helps me realize sometimes little people will say honestly Yvonne sometimes it wasn't not yet sometimes it's no way not ever no how mm. and then I process why why is that yeah and I love proving people wrong yeah. <laughs> even in my like childhood waving a flag to a, you know red flag to a bull right yeah it's like all right you said no here I come anyways you know and even in my childhood I was told a lot this goes back to the fit in and mm -hmm. to me this is why it's unforeseen promise I was told you know, I had children do, oh, I would watch TV and I would say, look at those people on the news. Oh, that's neat. I, I'd love to do that one day because I love to talk. <laughs> I'd love to, I'd love to get on the news and talk and tell people stories. And my mom, bless her heart, she meant well, because this was her understanding and this was her story and her perspective. So, oh, but you can't do that. They don't put women of color on the TV. Mm. Oh, okay. And so it was, mm. oh, I want to do this. I want to try and get into politics. I want to try. No, they don't do that. And so as much as that, you know, it was unforeseen to me, this potential that was there. Yeah. And so then people will ask, well, with all this negative feedback or with all the no's or with all the blockades, what's the secret sauce, right? How did you overcome it? Mm -hmm. And I have two things to that. One, I haven't overcome. I am overcoming. It's right. never ending, right? It's a journey for yeah. those of us that think those blockades aren't there, that misogyny, that racism, that issues and problems are still, you know, oh, it's not there anymore. You've overcome everything. It's that's naive. Mm -hmm. And I don't do that to point fingers at anybody and to accuse them. I'm pointing the fingers this way. <laughs> it's naive to me. <laughs> Even the, in the last five to 10 years, I've sat with it and elevated and continue to think about it in ways that I never had. So if anyone was guilty of denying what was happening and what was going on, I'm at the front of the list, mm. <laughs> you know, I'd squelched it. And so yeah. that's part of my journey is to, okay. So what did I, I said? Two things. One it's, it's, I'm overcoming. It's not just like it's a done deal. Yeah. Two, you just go, <laughs> you know, you just go and do. So when yeah. people said, no, I said, Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. Or people said this could never happen. Well, I'm going to try. Well, I, I, I say how, right? How is a one of my favorite questions? Um, because what your what your mom might not have thought about was any time that somebody says no. Now I've come sort of in a full circle with um, you know going through you know working working for the wrong clients and burning out, um, you know, coming back after a gap to really hone in, you know, who is it that I'm passionate about working with? Who do I love working with? And really refining that. Um, and then realizing that, you know, the universe plays an important part. So, you know, having a morning meditation ritual, getting into gratitudes, raising my vibrational energy, taking, you know, level one and two Reiki, all of these things are pointing to when, you get a no, it's it's not a no forever. It's a possibly a not yet, or it's a no because there's something better coming around the corner because the universe has already got this figured out. So as soon as you think of that idea, it wouldn't have crossed your mind had there not been a path forward already to figure out how to make that happen. That's my, my belief. Brilliant. And I know uh, how spiritual you are. And in connection, I say to be respectful to other people, their higher power for me, mm -hmm. you know, it is God and I respect other people's yep. thoughts and viewpoints on that. And we can, you know, learn from each other on that. But absolutely. I was just the other day talking to someone and said, you know, I know people always, when someone says everything happens for a reason, Ooh, they cringe and, you know, maybe not everything happens for a reason. And maybe it's difficult when someone's suffering terrible loss and grief. And I realized that some of my thinking, 
I can say and share from a position of privilege. Hmm. And here's another unforeseen promise. And it's difficult, you know, it's like a blurry picture for me because I have, and I'm blessed with an amazing amount of privilege. And in the same token, I have a lot of barriers that I have had to and continue to have to deal with and overcome. And so the intersectionality of privilege is something else that I struggle with. I continue to think about and I continue to try and help myself become a better person and evolve and be better wife, mother, friend, you know, uh, teacher, person on this planet. But -hmm. it's difficult when that privilege intersects and it becomes muddled. So when I say everything happens for a reason, I realize I can say that from a position of privilege so that when I don't get an opportunity or when I didn't get a job, it wasn't that, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay my rent this week? It's easier to back up and say, okay, this wasn't the right path for me. Something better is going to happen when I have a roof over my head. You know, that's what I'm acknowledging and that, you know, I know that there will be something along the lines, but there is something to that. and even. Again, I've had moments where I have struggled to pay the rent. Mm-hmm. And I've had moments where when I was young, I went off to New Zealand with a work permit. It was a Canadian government program. I went off to New Zealand with this work permit and nothing else. And I remember when I got there and I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh, I think this time I bit off more than I can chew. Because here I am in a foreign country. I had very little to nobody and I didn't have a job yet. And even then, in that dark despair, I can still remember this, and it was many, many years ago, one night sitting and crying, because I, oh, I've really made a mistake here, had my pity party, it's another one of my sayings, I like to say you can visit Pity City, you're just not allowed to live there. (laughs) So I had my pity party, I, I had my visit to Pity City, I cried my tears, I said a prayer, and then I said, okay. Now I have to make it work. I have to do something. This has happened for a reason. I'm in this place. I haven't got a job yet. I need to make things work and move on. And I also said to myself all those years ago, if I can get through this, it'll be a huge lesson in life. It means I can get through anything. Those bottom pits, which I've hit at different times in my life, personally and professionally, made me realize if I can get through this, when I get through this, I will be able to elevate and grow in ways I haven't been able to foresee that unforeseen promise. It's the unforeseen promise held in those low moments. Exactly. And, and when we are in that place of um, low, low energy, despair, whatever it might be, you know, there is always something, if you reflect back, um, there's always something that you can think back to that you are proud of in your life that you have overcome. And I mean, if you can't think of anything, just think about as a kid, I mean, assuming that you're not um, somebody who's impacted physically or um, in a wheelchair, for example, but most kids, right, have learned how to walk. Now, I have a special needs son. Uh, I was told at one point uh, when he was about um, 18 months old, the likelihood is that he's not going to walk. And I was like, Heck no. <laughs> He's going to walk. He's just going to take a little bit longer to do it. And so it was two and a half by the time he was walking. So now when I see little tiny kids that are just, you know, not even a year old toddling around, it just it just warms my heart because I never had that experience. Um, it does take tenacity, though. It takes resilience as mothers to to raise kids who are a little bit unique and uh, special. And yet, yeah. he went, you know, he went on um, to to do some amazing things in his life. You know, he hit 18 and decided that um, he saw an Operation Smile advert on TV. A telethon was happening, come running in. Mom, mom, I need a credit card. <laughs> OK, tell me more. <laughs> tell me <laughs> more. Yeah. Tell me more. He said, I want to buy a kid a smile. I'm like what? <laughs> Don't get it. So he pulled me into the living room looked at the the impact of the pictures of the cleft palate before and after that was happening with the surgeries for kids in poor countries. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, first of all, that is so sweet. 
And then we couldn't um, get him his own card because he didn't want my card. He wanted his own card. And the banks just didn't know what to do with that application. So three of them just sort of went into the ethers. And finally, he says, Mom, I'm going to sell my paintings and I'm going to raise money that way. And that's what he went on to do. So we got him um, out on global TV. Gil Tucker interviewed him and I took him to a first round pitch for Dragon's Den. And really, I mean, the message behind his his work is it doesn't matter what your unique abilities are. Every single one of us can make a difference. And he's sold enough for five surgeries to happen with oh. his paintings. Well, yeah. pardon the unintended or maybe intended pun. That just makes me smile. And I am familiar with some of the stories you've shared. And I thank you for your, again, your vulnerability with your son. I've listened to some of the stories and I just mm-hmm. think that's so amazing. And when we talk about unforeseen promise, that's the heart of what I'm getting at is remember I shared with you and everyone joining is just, you just got to go. You just got to do it. <laughs> And then it'll evolve. And I love the analogy, Yvonne, about when your son couldn't walk, you know, and that you, I heard at a conference once, someone was talking about belief in others and having belief even in ourselves. And sometimes we'll believe in others more than we'll believe in ourselves. And this person used exactly that example. They said, with a typically healthy child, again, like you said, there are exceptions, but with a healthy child, have you ever heard anybody say, Oh, I guess that person's not going to be a walker. Right. They just, right. Because we know eventually, again, if we're blessed not to have any health issues, eventually they will walk. My own daughter was slow to walk mm. because, and she was a bum scooter. It was the okay. cutest thing ever, right? Which she wanted some. And why would she walk? Because she had people around her. She was smart, still is. Get, you know, point to things people would bring her things. Right. <laughs> you know, it was right. like, why would I walk? And eventually, even the doctor would say to me, they, we tested, make sure there was nothing physical. So she'll walk when she's ready. Yeah. And she did. And then we think about, and one of my favorite things, you talked about the toddlers that you see. I love seeing kids when they're learning to walk. I call it the Frankenstein walk. You know mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. Come on. They're like, hey, you know, it's like, it's yeah. the cutest thing ever. Oh, look what I'm doing. I'm trying to find my balance. Oh, I'm trying to figure it out. And we think it's cute. And we let them do it, right? And we don't want them to fall and hurt themselves. So we remove danger like obscene danger right but other than that we let them fall and get up you know and then they we think it's okay they're getting their balance and they're very proud of themselves well I think we all do our own form of Frankenstein walk Mm. as we evolve ourselves as human beings as we evolve our professional capabilities as we evolve our personal capabilities we get up and we okay I'm gonna just try this and nobody says to a kid oh you'll never walk but people say to adults, oh, you'll never do this. or you'll never do that. Why do we do that? You know, do your Frankenstein walk. You're going to stumble. Hopefully there's, you've removed the obscene danger. So you're not going to crack your head open yeah. figuratively or literally when you fall, yeah. but it's okay to fall. And then you get back up again and you I'm going to get this. I'm going to figure this. And then you do. And yeah. then eventually those toddlers become great at walking. Some of them become athletes. Some of them become runners. Everybody started out having to learn. Yep. Yeah. So Roger, much Roger Bannister learned to walk too. And look what he went on to do. Excellent you know? point. Yes. Yeah. And that other question uh, that you raised about, you know, asking and, um, you know, if you don't ask, just remember, you're going to be in exactly the same place you are now. So there's no, there's nothing to fear about asking. Because if you get a no, well, here you are in the same spot. But if you get a yes, because you've asked, you've raised the odds by 50%. And so it's always worth asking. And if you ask with a how question, you know, I have this idea. I'm wondering how could we evolve this? How could we get this implemented? How could we make this work versus do I have your permission to go forward with this or do you have budget for it? we're likely to get more of a robust answer and more more thought going into it than just yes or no. So big fan of open-ended questions as most of us in HR are. So on, on another topic, um, who was the biggest influence for you growing up as a child, Melanie, Dr. Melanie? So, and yes, Melanie's great. Thank you. Um, 
it's a long story. So I know we all, how many hours do we have? <laughs> <laughs> version, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you the Coles Notes version of when I was young, things were different in school. We didn't think about diversity and we didn't have the same eye to um, caring about how people might react to situations and circumstances and this and that. And Okay, so we had Grandparents Day. We were supposed to bring our grandmother or grandfather for tea to a school. Nobody thinks about, oh, here's an immigrant kid who has no grandparents even alive, never mind in the city, blah, blah, blah. And it was quite the big thing. Like they made a big deal of it. I'm sitting on the street corner, so the story goes, (laughs) by myself crying. And a woman from church comes by, happens to recognize me. She was tootling off on some errands and she stopped and talked to me and said, why are you crying? So I told the whole situation to her. And she said, oh, I'll come and be your grandmother oh, and I'll cry when I tell the story because so we had the afternoon arrives. She arrives at the school and I can still picture this. And I was very, very young. It was elementary school. I'm going to say I was 10 years old at the time. And I can still remember this vividly to this day. She looked stunning. She had her hair all done up. She had the pearls. She had a cute suit on. And you know what I remember if I could describe it. From the cartoon, you know, Tweety Bird and Sylvester the Cat and Granny has the bird in a cage. She looked like that Granny. Like, that's the the, the image. And she came and said to everybody, oh, I'm here. I'm Melanie's grandmother. And she talked to my parents and made sure they were okay. And they were thrilled because she was such a lovely lady. And she came to the event. And it was like, it was awe-inspiring. And people were just looking at her because she was like, just stunning and she was and she was something else and she was here as my grandmother and she didn't bother you know people would look funny like can't be Melanie and she didn't explain she didn't want to explain she just said I'm here I'm Melanie's grandmother that's all you need to know yeah and from that day on she called me her granddaughter and she let me call me her grandma and grandpa her husband and they had an influence over my entire childhood they included me in events they showed me the power of love and belonging and why it influenced me though too is these are people that really could be afraid of the unknown they were from farmland rural one was from Alberta one was from Ontario of course they happened to live in Alberta at the time when they met me they were never taught about diversity they were never taught about welcoming people that look different than you that think different than you but they were just genuine love and they didn't care about those things. Mm -hmm. And so when I feel frustrated or I feel sad or I think "Mm, what's happening in our world, I remember that there's so much good in our world. And to me, they, my adopted grandparents, as I call them, were the huge, the biggest influence in my childhood because, and it still stays with me today to remember that capacity of people to love Mm -hmm. And to remind myself to have that capacity. Mm-hmm. And because, again, I'm pointing the fingers this way. I can be judgmental. I can have, oh, I don't want to get involved in that. Oh, look at that. They didn't do that. And they had the power to change my life and my childhood because they showed me such love and compassion. Mm. What a beautiful story, Melanie. And the fact that um, they weren't from your culture, I'm sure opened again, opened up many doors, opened your eyes to, you know, what's possible when you're being brought along by someone who's from a different culture, what can shift. I spoke recently with another gentleman who does HR consulting, and he's from one of the indigenous communities. And he said, you know, I get treated so differently when I show up in public with my wife, who's from was either Denmark or Sweden. Um, so probably blonde and looks very different than he does. Um, and I thought, well, that that is just something that I would never, you know, with my with my you know white upbringing, I would never have even thought about that might that might happen. So you shared a bit about um, why you were asked to fit in and the opportunity to be in service, which is great. So. What was it about the the um, the bravery that you needed in order to be showing up authentically? You know, what enabled you to be brave enough to step into some of these roles and to be now in, in that leadership capacity that you hold? 
And I will share, Yvonne, this is where, again, we talk about privilege. I feel so blessed. I say God takes care of the angels and the fools, and I know which one I am. (laughs) (laughs) I know which one I am. And I think back to my childhood. I think back to undergraduate school years, first jobs, opportunities, my career, my life. I have been surrounded by, as the story I just shared as an example, I've been surrounded by wonderful people, Mm -hmm. you know, friendships, meeting colleagues such as you and other people throughout my career, mentors and sponsors I've had. Having that foundation, I call it like a trampoline. You know, Mm -hmm. my friend that I shared when I went to her and went, well, well, why don't you ask? I think about some of the terrible situations in my life I have encountered. And then I would go to my friends or my community, my professional colleagues, my family, and having that buffer and that security has been a blessing. I really believe that's what's allowed me to go forward Mm. is that I can go to someone and say, Hey, guess what just happened to me? And they're like, that's horrible. I can go to someone at work or a friend and say, look what happened to me at work. And they'll say, that's horrible. And so that gives you the strength to move on because you can vocalize, you can share, you can have someone stand up for you and say, you deserve better. You need to hear other people say that to you because we're all human. Like to say, oh, I just had my own tenacity and my own bravery. And there's some of that. I mean, some of it you're just born with. Let's be honest. Some of us are just a little feistier than others. And those of us that have ever had the privilege of having a child, Mm. we can see that in our own children, the differences. See that almost right at birth. People used to tell me that and I'd say, and now that I've had children, it's true. Right at birth, my children were very different. Anywho, that tenacity, that bravery has been grounded in support from others. And Mm. for that, I will forever be grateful that I had those right people around me. But I'll share another thing that I've been thinking deeply about, and I will eventually when I can write about it, Yvonne, is there's guilt associated with that too, for me, because people that have supported me have also suffered because of me. Because when you're an ally, other people don't necessarily support allies. Mm. And so you talked about our Indigenous colleague who would come in with his wife. Mm-hmm. His wife will have repercussions for supporting. And I'm still processing that. I'm, as you can tell, as I'm sharing with you, I'm learning, I'm thinking that through because there is some guilt. I've suffered through some guilt and I still hold it that those that supported me had consequences for that support. Mm. And we need to think about that. We don't talk a lot about that. We talk about being an ally, but we don't talk about allies to the allies. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's as you're, as you're sharing that, that previous story, it's reminding me, you know, you're, you're this walking version of, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So you've got the basic food and shelter taken care of. And, you know, at the bottom of the triangle, um, at the lower levels, we've got this community, right? We have to have community. We have to work our way up with our um, our needs taken care of before we can reach that pinnacle of self-actualization to be reaching through and helping others. I don't like to say reaching down, but reaching through and helping others to also step up on their journey too. And that's one of the leadership roles that you've stepped into and are owning. And I think that um, you mentioned earlier about, you know, sometimes women don't claim their their educational status because they don't want to appear like they're bragging. I had this conversation just yesterday um, with um, a uh, coaching client and not sharing any names or anything more on that other than to say it is really important that we look at, you know, who are we, but what did we do? Um, What was the impact? What was the measurable result uh, how did we go about it and really look at what skills did we bring to the table in order to make something happen? And here's the direct measurement of success. It's not bragging. It simply is fact. That's what I did. This is the impact. That's what I did. This is the impact. And as women, if we're in that corporate arena and we're logging and tracking those successes, then you know whether you have a 
semi-annual or an annual performance review, that's the time to bring your brag file with you of all the things that people have said about your work to support some of the things that your boss not may not even know about you but certainly to be speaking directly to the projects that you have accountability for and they can see that there are clear measurable results because I think that's one of the the things that I hear more from entrepreneurs these days who are you know moving from a solopreneur to a CEO and now they're adding to their team so yeah. I'm helping them with you know how do you do that how do you hire the right person I've got a 12-step process for it how do you bring on the right person at the right time so that you're not rushing to bring them on because you left it too late and then not thinking through how am I really going to measure the success of their of their activities in that first three months what is that metric because that's how women very often get blindsided is they haven't got the clarity or haven't asked at the beginning how am I going to be measured for success and when you know that especially as a woman then it's not bragging. It simply is sharing. This is the metric that I was assigned for this role. And here's my results according to that metric. And it It is what it is. I love that. And it's fact. And we need to do that for ourselves too. Not waiting for someone to do a performance appraisal or evaluation on us. I like to take stock every pick your period of time, weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, whatever it is. And think, what were the metrics that I set for myself? What were the goals? And how have I done? And it's okay not to reach everyone, but the understanding of the journey, why things worked, why they didn't, what your goals were, that can be so powerful because Mm -hmm. it is nice to have those measurements. And then, this I love when we come full circle, I'm so moved by the story you shared at our beginning of our conversation about the woman with the book on the nightstand at the shelter. Mm. We also have, impact that we don't understand and that's that unforeseen promise that when we do what we can and we struggle and we question and we continue to ruminate and as I've shared with you I don't have all the answers I have so many questions but that's part of the joy is the not understanding everything I will choose certain things to measure and understand and evaluate but I'm also open to the possibilities because there is unforeseen promise it's unforeseen how you would impact that woman as she sat in a shelter and how her world is evolving. Bless her heart right now. Mm-hmm. One day, a few years ago, someone said to me, and it's going to sound strange, almost silly when I share this with you and the wonderful people joining us. Someone said to me, you've been such a great role model for women of color because mm-hmm. people haven't done these things that you've done and blah, blah, blah. And so there are people out there that never saw people that looked like you in those roles. Back to my story. No one on the news looked like me. No one on TV looked like me. No one in politics looked like me. And I looked at them and I thought, oh, I've never thought of it that way. But when they said it, I went, well, that's true. (laughs) It is true. I had just never, ever thought of it. And there's a consequence to going first. That's a talk for another day that I've done a lot of ruminating and writing on recently is the cost of going first. Mm. Being the first person to do this, the first to do this, the first to do that. And it's more than emotional labor. It's much deeper than that story for another day. But it's funny to me that that unforeseen promise I had never envisioned, that it's not about me. It's I hope that by doing what I've done, mistakes and all, been far from perfect, but other people will watch and see my journey, not just women of color, people and say, hey, that's possible. There's unforeseen promise in all of those people around us. Even if I don't look like her, act like her, think like her, other people might. Oh, I've seen things happen that I didn't anticipate. There's unforeseen potential. Yeah. What I I really appreciate, um, and I am going to address you as Dr. Melanie, because um, I know that that takes a huge amount of work to to, um, receive your PhD and to the other accomplishments that you have already claimed. Um, it, it is so important that we see people who look like us in those various roles. I mean, certainly, you know, if I think back 10 years ago when I was, well, no, 20 years ago when I was in IT recruiting and I had to, you know, go back and make sure that the banner that we had where it said, you know, your careers page had, you know, 
somebody from each of the cultures, somebody from different genders, so that everybody saw themselves as being able to apply. It wasn't just, you know, one particular face that was was showing there. And at the time, that was almost like it was it was like a final checkbox sort of forced that had to be had to be uh, part of the equation. And I certainly see and feel and touch much more, you know, gender diversity because of the work I've been doing, particularly the last 14 years with women entrepreneurs. Um, but also hearing and sharing these stories, um, you know, Women of Inspiration is uh, an excellent platform. They just had their awards ceremony a couple of weeks ago. And it's, again, so important for women to shine and to claim that spotlight, because if we don't, then others will not see what's possible and it's really important that everyone is um is also thinking through you know how am i showing up as a leader it's not just you know i'm the leader and i'm charging ahead looking over my shoulder and there's nobody there right it's about bringing others along with you because that otherwise you're not a leader you're you're a pioneer but you're not necessarily a leader um so i really acknowledge the fact that you've still remain very humble in your own accomplishments, in the way that you respectfully speak about others, the way that you don't claim to know everything. Uh, you know, there are many people in the academic realm that look at life and, st and studies and education through a different lens. And I think it's probably because you have your HR consulting practice as well. And so you still have an opportunity to remain very grounded and connected to what needs to be shared, what needs to be explored and implemented and thoroughly understood, and then to bring that back into the other roles that you hold um, in academia. So thank you so much for remaining so humble and for bringing this, this conversation today to some really interesting learning points. I, I've made lots of notes here. <laughs> and yeah, when somebody says no, well, that's very often a redirect from the universe that there's something much better that's going to open up for you. Or as you say, there is a little bit more learning, some deeper experience to bring to the table before that would be a successful endeavor that and if you step in now, you're really going to struggle and flounder. <laughs> and, and and the universe just wants us to be loved and to be successful. So, yeah. Yeah, so the universe wants Sorry, yeah, I was to say the universe just wants us to do the Frankenstein walk. That's what I'm leaving with for the visual of this wonderful, engaging conversation with you today is just get up and walk, do your teeter like go for it. Go and, for it. Yeah. And rely on the people around you. Understand that there will be some guilt that you're mm -hmm. relying on those people because your allies, you'll feel a little that you put on them, but the the universe is full of love. And hold on to those moments and be one of those sources of love. And yeah, I have hardly any of the answers. I have lots of questions and that's okay. That's the other lesson too. It's okay to continue to question. In fact, I view it as a privilege to be able to continue to question and ask and think about, okay, what does this mean? And why is this working this way? And why do I think this way? And how do I evolve? And how do I help? And how do I get better? It's okay. All of those things are okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay not to have the answers. And that's part of, you know, again, when kid gets up and starts walking, they don't know what their walking is going to look like. They don't know that they're going to be able to do it. And yet we get up and do it. We all got up and did that Frankenstein walk and we didn't have the answers, but we did it. We pushed through. We had people around to help us and support us, remove extreme danger from our surroundings. Yeah. And you know, with the, just that unforeseen potential, I still remain in awe. You know, people always say, would your younger self, have, you know, write a letter to your younger self? Mm, no, I don't want to do that because my younger self probably would have gone, who's this crazy? But you know, like, no, out. Um, but I look back and I think it's good that I only knew what I knew when I knew it. There's yeah. a purpose to that too. It was yeah. good that I didn't know. So my... My last question really is around legacy. So what do you see your legacy being, Melanie? And legacy is such a powerful word, Yvonne. Thank you for leaving that. You know, people talk about what would we want people to say at our funeral? Ugh, you know, what do we want on our tombstone? My yeah. friend always used to say, by the way, on his tombstone, he wanted, I told you I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Oh my gosh, terrible, terrible. 
know, you know, and legacy to me isn't about after I'm gone. It's about what's happening when I'm here. Just mm-hmm. as an aside, people always say, uh, you know, what's the meaning of life and why do you have children? And again, I value everybody's personal choice. I have lots of friends that have even chosen not to have children and I fully mm-hmm. respect that. But I say to my children, to me, the meaning of life is to leave the world better than it was when you arrived. Yeah. And I always say to my children, I've done that just by leaving them because I'm blessed to have wonderful adults that I know will continue to make the world a better place. So check, I've done that. But aside from that, that's that's what legacy is. Have I left the world a better place? Mm. Warts and all, mistakes and all. And it's my hope that through the many people that I've been privileged to share their learning journey with, I have worked with so many amazing students. And I hope that I've shared some of my passion and knowledge with them. I hope that's part of my legacy. They will do much more than I could have ever envisioned. They have so much unforeseen promise. But if I've sparked a joy in them, if I've shown them that compassion, if I've been the person who figuratively saw them crying on the street corner and said, it's okay, I'll come be your grandmother at the tea. If I've shown them that kind of promise, hope, compassion, love, caring, that would be my legacy. If I've shown some ability for our profession, our HR profession to evolve, and if the clear and joy and passion I have for what we do, I hope it's palpable, that would be my legacy. I feel it. I feel it. It's palpable. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm sure that the many students that you've had the opportunity to share your experiences and your wisdom with, I'm sure that they feel that. Um, you you know that I've done quite a bit of work recently around, you know, personality science. And you and I both have um, in our sort of four personality code, we both have nurturing at the front end. At the top? Yes. You <laughs> and I are both top. ends. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, that opportunity to, um, you know, you can go fast alone, but you also can go much further with the support of others. That is built by other people seeing that your heart is in the right place. You have that integrity, that consistency, um, that you can be supportive of others, um, be reliable, relied upon in, in a time of need. And also are when when you're ready for an ask, you're also going to be asking them politely if they can contribute and uh, pulling them forward to step it up. And that's what I love about coaching, uh, Melanie, is it really is about looking at, you know, where are you right now? Where is your dream taking you? And how are you going to get there and, and stepping into that possibility? And sometimes my vision is much greater than their vision ever is. However, it's about keeping the pace in a place where they can absorb and grow and expand into it. And uh, I talk about flourishing in my programs because it is about, you know, like a rose that opens gradually. And then right in the very, very center is that beautiful opportunity for further propagation of the person's ideas and what they're sharing with the world. So you're doing an amazing job of sharing your insights, sharing your wisdom, your compassion, leading with clear example. And I'm so grateful that you were able to join me today on the show. There are a number of people I'm sure who want to keep in touch. So you can reach out to Melanie through her website, which is uh, double M, M for Melanie, double M consulting.net. Um, you can also find her on LinkedIn, Dr. Melanie. Um, if you'd like to stay in touch with me, you can do through, so through uh, either through LinkedIn or through my website, which is yvonnesilver.com. And if you're curious to learn a little bit more, there is actually a free gift on my website. You can actually figure out, you know, if if you're ready to move up from a solopreneur to a CEO, how do you go about doing that? Are you ready to even consider it? That's actually a complimentary assessment on my website right now. 
So go ahead and reach out, make sure that you keep in touch, leverage these ideas. There's some beautiful wisdom that's been shared today. And that is the essence of the words Women and Wisdom radio show, looking at women who've come through diversity, whether that's through experiences, experiences growing up, um, depending on their, their skin color, and yet all very accomplished women with some great lessons to learn from. So I appreciate you sharing that, Samani. Thank you. Thank you for the honor. And as always, just so engaging to chat with you. Let's keep in touch for the next edition of the Words, Women and Wisdom radio show. Reach out, connect on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, you'll be seeing the postings for the next show. I hope that you will join me. Stay in touch. And if you're a woman entrepreneur who is seeking to flourish and not sure what direction is the next step for you, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a beautiful day. Bye for now.